Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, and you're gonna be so glad you did. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter, and uh, you know, I, like we, I just wanna start out today by giving a quick shout out to all the volunteers who made last Sunday, Easter Sunday, so awesome, especially all you kids workers putting up with all of our kids. I'm just saying, seriously, we had so many kids give their lives to Christ last week. It was fun just seeing a, a church that believes in the next generation. And of course, I, I, right here, I'm actually holding a stack of our first time decisions to follow Christ last week, okay? Last week. Look at these. I mean, look. First off, we, we, you guys really did invite people. Wow, like we had over a 1,000 new visitors last week. And uh, I, I mean, but when you, when you go through all of these first-time decisions, I mean, and then their prayer requests, I'm just telling you, like these, these aren't just numbers to me, okay? These are, somebody's, uh, these are somebody's mom. These are someone's dad. These are someone's son, daughter. This is someone's grandpa. This is, this is some, right here is someone's crazy uncle. Come on. You know, you know, hey, they need Jesus too. Will they get less crazy? I don't know. Let's find out. But I'm just saying, these are, these are real people who are going to be in eternity with us as a result of just the, the simple little invites that you guys did. And I, I just think that's so supernatural. I, I don't want you to take this for granted, that we are literally riv living in a modern revival. I want you to understand that. I, I just, you know, I, this is why we do what we do. And did you know that less than 50% of churches in the United States even had a single one of these in an entire year last year? And yet, this is just one week for us. We, we're not even gonna, if we just counted Christmas and Easter, but I'm just saying that that's unique. And I'm not saying that to, to say, you know, to, to boost up your ego, or, or, and I'm definitely not saying that we're better than anyone, but what I am saying is, is what we celebrate, we accelerate. And I think we need to celebrate this. You know what I'm saying? I also think that uh, we need to be praying for these people because I can guarantee you people that made decisions like this are gonna, the devil's gonna try to do something to mess with them. And I, I can also say that we better start saving up for a south side campus and an east side campus because I'm just saying, if we, this keeps happening, we're, we're gonna have some problems here, right? Actually, Chad, can you come? I, I don't, these are gonna spread all over the stage if I, I don't give them back to you. But uh, I, I, you know, in light of that stack, you know, chances are there's more than a few of you who are here today and you're the ones who made that decision last week. You said, I wanna follow Christ for the first time and uh, I want you to know that is a big deal and I am so proud of you. I'm so excited for you, actually, because it's like you just signed up for Christmas morning. You know what I'm saying? God's going to give you all sorts of gifts that you don't even know are coming. And, and, and I've been praying for you all this week. And I, I, as I did, I really felt this nudge to give you a teaching on how to experience more of God, which initially this message, for those of you long-timers, it's gonna start out basic, but actually it doesn't matter if you're a long-term Christian or new. If you can apply these four principles I'm about to share with you, four mentalities for approaching God, you're gonna see more miracles in your life. I, one of the things that you'll notice that's a little unique about 
uh, the way that I preach is almost every other week I try to share a miracle story in my message, a modern day miracle story, and why? Why do I do that? Well, because uh, it is absolutely critical that you understand Christianity is not merely an ideology, it is a, an invasion of spiritual power. Okay, this is not meant to be a religion of rituals, but a relationship of miracles. Unfortunately, a lot of people settle for the former instead of the latter. They have this religion of rituals rather than a relationship of miracles. And, 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 and as a result, they have this kind of, their, their faith is kind of stale. And I, I want to encourage you not to stay there, okay? People come to me, and, and because I'm sharing these miracles, they're like, wow, Pastor Peter, it just feels like you, get, you experience more miracles than me. And, and, and actually, I, I want to tell them, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. I actually believe that if you press in a little bit more, and, and I, I think that you're eventually going to see miracles that are also undeniable. And, and that's why these four principles I'm about to share, they, again, they might start out a little basic, but I, I really believe that that they can accelerate your intimacy with God, and that's what I want for you today, is I wanna accelerate it. So like, let me give you an example of this. Okay, so this last week I was talking to a girl uh, who is newer to this whole God thing, and she was just, as we were talking, she started explaining to me, well, you know, Pastor Peter, I've got all these questions that, to be honest, about Christianity that I'm kinda scared to ask. And I'm like, well, what do you mean scared to ask? questions about Christianity. Well, you know, Pastor Peter, the types of questions that might get me kicked out of here. And I started laughing, and I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Questions are not going to get you kicked out of here. I just want you to understand. I just let her know right out of the gate. Listen, actually, I ask more questions than anybody. I encourage tough questions. Now, and she goes, yeah, but, and she, she, and then we finally realized, oh, and I'm like, whoa, actually, there's a big difference between questions and accusations. A lot of people don't know the difference between questions and accusations. They, they'll ask questions that are filled with weird assumptions that are kind of, you know, condescending. Or, and I'm like, yeah, that might cause a few problems for you. But listen, even if you ask a few condescending questions of me, I actually like it, okay? I can handle it. God can handle it. And, and actually, you know what? Because, but, but as we talked about it, she started to realize, oh, I thought being skeptical was also being sacrilegious. And I'm like, oh, not at all. Skepticism is actually how you discover faith. When you discover doubts, you run to them. That's actually, I think God loves skepticism. And she was like, really? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, and, and, and I thought, you know what? If you're out there and you feel that, I want to share a, a couple scriptures that will prove to you that God loves skepticism and that actually you're supposed to run to those moments. I, I love the story of Thomas. You know, we, we say that one of the disciples was named Thomas, and of course he got the nickname Doubting Thomas, which isn't actually a fair statement to refer to him because he actually um, did, took more risks for the gospel than anyone in church history. But I, I you know, he was, he's called Doubting Thomas because after Christ rose from the dead, he was the first to kind of question some of the eyewitness testimonies. We saw him, we saw him, and he's like, yeah, right. Unless I put my hands, like Thomas literally said, unless I put my fingers in his wounds, I'm not gonna believe it, okay? So he's, he's being kind of skeptical, right? And so he's telling this to all the other disciples in this particular passage in John 20, and the moment he says this, suddenly Christ walks through a wall, boom, magically appears and says this, 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. I love Jesus. You got to admit, this is awesome. It's like, John is just like, I don't believe it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, poof. Oh, yeah, Thomas, right? It's just like, bam. This is, that's the kind of God we serve, right? So then he goes, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Yeah, of course he's going to say peace because he just scared them, right? It's like, boom, scare you, peace, you know, like. Jesus, then don't walk through walls, okay? No, he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, I love this, he goes right up to Thomas, and he says, put your finger here, see my hands, okay? I, it's like, you thought Jesus was not listening to you, but he was. Some of you, he's, he's actually, you should be scared that he's listening to everything. That's the real problem, right? Does God hear anything I say? Oh, he hears everything. That's the problem, okay? But I love that he goes, you know, here's John or Thomas whining. Uh, I don't believe it. And then he walks right up to Thomas and says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side where the spear was. I mean, how gross is that? Talk about making a memory, right? Okay? And then he says, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, one of the things I love about this passage is that Jesus did not shame Thomas. Instead, he actually indulged him. He's like, oh, so Thomas, you're curious, all right. Give me your hand. I just love how, he, I just imagine Jesus is like jamming it into his grossness. You know, like, well, it probably didn't happen like that. But I, I'm saying, I love that Jesus is actually indulging him. You want to touch it? All right, all right. You know, like all the other disciples were like, ew, you know, like gross. Like, but I mean, Jesus was trying to make a memory, wasn't he? He was trying to show them, hey, I want you to, to, to actually see that I am the real Jesus. I am physically here. You know, but in the beginning, notice I, I mentioned that I'm going to give you four mentalities, four things that will help you experience God. Well, guess what? The first one is right there in this narrative with Thomas. Ask God tons of questions. Is it real? I think tough questions, God loves them. He, in fact, there's a, literally hundreds of scriptures that say the same thing as, as the, the promise that God made in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Whether you deserve it or not, if you're willing to ask God, he will give you wisdom. Come on, that's a promise. How cool is that? What does that say? It says that God loves to reveal himself to us. He loves to, to, to speak to us, to show things that are mysterious to us, which leads to the second mentality. If you're gonna do this, then you might as well do the second thing I'm about to tell you. Ask God tons of questions, but number two, give him lots of time to answer. You hear me? A lot of times we'll ask God questions, and then we get mad if he doesn't immediately respond in some sort of supernatural way. Well, come on, give God a little time, because sometimes it takes a little time to show you and your brain the answer to that question. God's up in heaven saying, mm, maybe you should ask a question that's more in size, in, in, in sync with the size of your brain, right? He says that to me all the time. Right? You're asking things way too big, Peter. <laughs> like, that'll take me a You're going to take a million years before I can explain that one, right? But I think a lot of questions in life, a lot of, give God creative license. Sometimes he's up in heaven saying, 
loved one, you don't even know what you're asking. I could answer that, but actually, that's not what you really want to know. You want to know this, which will lead to this, which will lead to this, which will lead to, oh, God, that's a much better question. And God's up in heaven saying, thank you. You know what I mean? Give God's time. Give God's space. Uh, and, And you can accelerate these answers. I believe that you can accelerate that timeline by having a relationship with the three ways that God speaks. He speaks through his word, he speaks through his church, and he speaks through his spirit, okay? So if you wanna accelerate the wisdom of God, the voice of God in your life, well, again, he speaks through his word. It's like the old saying goes about the Bible, if you want God to speak, then open up his mouth, right? You flip open your Bible. God speaks through his word, so start getting into your Bible, start ingesting it, start experimenting with it. And then the second thing, he speaks through his church. Start getting Christian friends. We're always talking about, hey, we don't want you to be a spectator in a church service here. We want you to be a part of a small group. We want you to find your, we want you to find at least four to seven great Christian friends here that you can do life with, that you can share your toughest struggles with, your deepest questions with. That's, that's called community. God speaks through godly mentors and godly friends. You need them. And, and, and then God starts speaking through prayer. You learn how to pray. Well, a lot of people, they'll use one of these things to the exclusion of the other two. But let me tell you, you need all three. You cannot just have a relationship with God's word and never go to church. That's not full Christianity. You can't just go to church and never pray or never read God's word. You see, I, I think it's okay to have a favorite one of those three. Some of you, you love reading your Bibles, but you hate praying. Some of you, you love praying and you're really, really, really spooky, but you don't have any friends. Maybe because you're too spooky. I'm just saying. That's why God wants all three. He wants to file you down. He wants to speak through all three conduits, okay? So you can accelerate God's answers to a lot of things by by opening up your Bible, by getting good Christian friends, and by practicing prayer, okay? And that's why we're constantly trying to get you involved in ministry. It's not because we need you in ministry. You need ministry more than we need you in ministry. It's because ministry is a conduit to all of these things, and I believe that God can speak to you more when you get involved, okay? So, So ask him tons of questions, give him lots of time to answer, and in the meantime, here's what you can do. If God isn't always answering, it's okay, just this is what you do. Begin by obeying his teachings. When you read some teachings that you know you're not in alignment with, then get into alignment with his teaching. Just start. Start obeying the word of God. And, and, and I realize that there's some tough passages in the scripture. Over the years, you're gonna ask a simple question and it's one called why. Now, this is important that you understand this. I remember, so like those of you who know my wife and I, we've got three kids and uh, my oldest daughter is now getting married this summer. How crazy is that? It's just like, what the heck? I'm not old enough for that. But I, I'm just saying. Uh, so, but I remember when my oldest daughter, Elijah, was like a little girl. And she was just like, you know, as a four-year-old, she was the cutest little girl with these giant pigtails and the biggest eyes you've ever seen. And just adorable. Well, she was playing in our front yard in our driveway, you know, with some balls. And, of course, like what always happens is the ball eventually rolls into the street, right? So it's crossing. The ball rolls across the street. Well, she goes out running for the street. And right before she hit the street, I'm like, Elijah, stop. And, and I knew she heard me, but she didn't want to hear me. So she just ran straight across the street, running right down the middle of the street after that ball. And she eventually grabs the ball, turns around. And then she says, why? Why do I have to stop? And walks towards me. 
And of course, in that moment, I had to sit her down and I had to be like, Elijah, okay, let me just, let me teach you something. It's okay to ask why, but you gotta obey me first, okay? You obey first and then you ask why. And then she was like, well, why? Because my job, let me teach you about your job and my job. My job is to love and protect you. Your job is to obey the first time and every time. And then you ask why. It actually became kind of a cliche with all of our kids. We'd, you know, we'd say, what is your job? And they had to respond. My job is to obey the first time and every time. Okay, so it was like literally, this was like a little insight into the hospital. What is your job? To obey the first time and every time. With a good attitude, okay, to add that on there. <laughs> my, you know, my kids, they, they understood. And, and, and listen, I'm okay with them asking why. I actually want them to ask why, but after the fact. I want them to obey first time and every time, and then you can ask why. Well, guess what? It kind of works the same thing with the Lord. Well, sure enough. Okay, so I have this talk with Elijah and uh, a couple weeks later, we had all these people. We were hosting a whole bunch of people from the church over at our house. There were all these cars lined up on the street. And of course, Elijah was out in the front yard again, just playing with the ball. And same thing happened. The ball rolls out into the street, and she was running for it. She was about to run in between two different parked cars. And of course, I could see a big old work van barreling down the street, going super fast, way too fast. I knew for sure that van was not going to see her. And I shouted, Lija, stop. And then she, you know, she kept running. And then she finally froze, looked back, and then whoosh, that van went right past her, like a foot away from her. Right? I mean, it was so close. Thank God she stopped. I mean, just missed her. I'll tell you what, in that moment, she understood, obey first, because then you'll actually be around to ask why. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I say all this because in many ways, it actually works the same with God. God wants us to learn how to obey first, and there's a lot of reasons why, okay? Jesus actually said in John 14, 21, he's like, you really want me to reveal myself to you? You really want the Father to reveal himself to you, give you mysteries, show you miracles? If you want that, there's a process. And he says, here's the process. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and what? Show myself to him. In other words, the revelation of God, God revealing himself to us is contingent upon what? Whoever has my commands and what? Obeys them. He says obedience is the catalyst that causes both the Father and the Son to reveal themselves in another way. Now, does God, does God sometimes reveal himself to disobedient people? Yeah, he's that generous. But there still is a process for normal life, right? God longs to reveal himself, to show himself to us, but there's a process of obedience that actually makes us capable of the revelation. A lot of times what people don't understand is God's up in heaven saying, I want to reveal that to you, but you won't be able to comprehend it until you go through a process of wrestling, a process of obedience, and then after the fact, you'll suddenly understand it, right? Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
You can't even test it, though, until you go through a process of wrestling with it. In fact, or sometimes we just don't have the character to sustain the answer to that prayer. We're praying for miracles, and God's up in heaven saying, "Mm, if I actually answered that one, it would destroy you. But we can't see things from God's perspective. Why? Because we haven't begun the process of obedience. You see, it's okay to ask God why, but don't demand why before obedience. And I say this because there's a lot of things in the Bible that actually need to be experienced first before they can be understood. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are flat out complicated and won't make sense. I can promise you You will read your Bibles, and and sometimes it'll actually create tension in your heart. That's actually a good thing, by the way, okay? Because, again, that'll just lead you back to what I just said, point number one. Okay, you read your Bible, you wrestle with it. Why is that in there? Okay, ask God tons of questions. It's good, right? Give him lots of time to answer, but don't wait to obey, okay? Begin by obeying his teachings, and all of a sudden, you know, things will start making sense. Because over time, guess what? There's gonna be all sorts of things in your life that are not gonna make sense, and then they're suddenly gonna make sense, and then they're not gonna make sense anymore, then they're suddenly gonna make sense, and they're not gonna make sense. It's, this, it's like almost like a tennis match. You're gonna find your faith is gonna rise. At certain moments, you're gonna have skeptical seasons, circumstances force you to ask deeper questions, okay? Life will force you to ask deeper questions. I, I remember... Um, you know, years ago, I, I, would, I, I bought all these books out as a, as a non-Christian, then I became a Christian. I, I started exploring a lot of my doubts, finding books that would help me with it, and then eventually I found uh, books of Christians that were deconstructing their faith. They were kind of going the opposite direction of faith. They were like, I don't really believe in Jesus anymore. I used to be a pastor, and then I would get confused, and then I would read a, you know, then there would be some article from some atheist saying, see these things in the Bible? There's errors in the Bible, and this city didn't even exist when the Bible was written, and which means it's false, and then all of a sudden, three years later, an archaeologist would discover the city and then prove, oh, the Bible was right all along, and then you're like... It's like a tennis match. It just keeps going back and forth. You're like, I don't know what to believe. And, and listen, that's the world we live in. It's a, it's a world of doubters, and, and really not doubters, but cynics, not even skeptics, cynics, people that are, that are they're not gonna believe. And then there's, then there's people of faith, and you're gonna go back and forth a while. And, and I, I'm just, I'm telling you, that's why whenever it comes to matters of faith, I need you to approach God with this fourth mentality. It's this. Acknowledge that you know way less than you think, okay? In other words, approach these things from a spirit of humility, which is not necessarily present in a lot of Christians or non-Christians. But it's important that this is, this is God says in his word, 1 Peter 5, 5, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace, if you want revelation, if you want miracles, guess what? I I believe that God will give it to the humble, both Christian and non-Christian. I believe that you can be a, if you're an arrogant Christian, guess what? You're gonna starve yourself of the miraculous. You're gonna starve yourself of actual real revelations of God. And there's there's an equal number of arrogant Christians as there are non-Christians. So it's important that you understand you approach God in this particular way, okay? So let me, uh, as, as kind of an example of this, I, I remember years ago, I was going through kind of a skeptical moment, and not a, not, a, not a long one, not a big crisis of faith, but I was starting to ask this, you know, like, have you ever had those moments? Now, 
Let me say it this way. I've seen some pretty crazy miracles of God over the years, right? God, if you've been to our growth track, you know that God, you know, supernaturally showed himself to me in a nightclub one time after I, he answered a prayer really supernaturally, freaked me out. I had seen all sorts of miracles after that point. But then, you know, years into it, you start to ask those questions like, how do you know the Bible is absolutely true. You have to start asking deeper questions. And I, I had this one nagging doubt come in. What if the Bible isn't true? What if, what if all of this isn't really reliable? And it was just, it, again, it was more of a nagging thought one night that I just couldn't get out of my head one night. And I, I remember as I was wrestling with this thought, it was right before bed. And of course, I, as I was going to bed, I was, you know, kind of just weighed down by this. And and I looked out my window, and of course, up in the sky, the first constellation that I saw was the constellation of Orion, uh, you know, Orion the Hunter. It was, it's, it was one of the brightest constellations. If you, if you live in Minnesota, right, I mean, almost all winter long, you can see Orion. I think it's uh, southward facing, but of course, you can identify it because Orion's belt, they call it, you know, the hunter. It's supposed to be, you know, in mythology. I don't know what the actual mythology is, but it was very, very easy to see Orion the hunter, and I, I looked at it, and I just could not stop staring at Orion, and I kept thinking, you know, just a moment earlier, God, are you real? God, is, is the Bible accurate? And just, I'm asking all these questions, and then I look up at this constellation, and I just kept thinking, there's just, ah, oh, there's no way this whole universe just spontaneously arrived out of nothing, and next thing you know, I'm looking at this constellation of universes right up in the sky, and and yet, you know, how do we know the Bible's real? And I finally just, I stopped and I did what I just mentioned. Asked God tons of questions. God, I pray that you'd help me make sense of all of this. Just help me make sense of all of this. And guess what? Just like God heard the prayer of Thomas, doubting Thomas, walks through a wall, shows himself. God heard my prayer that night. And actually, God ended up using Orion, this constellation, this kind of funny little thing to answer the very struggle that I was asking at that exact moment. Okay, get this, okay, real quick side note. Now, you may not know this, but uh, uh, so I, I, love, I love looking at like Hubble telescope pictures. They're just like so cool uh, to see these telescope pictures of the other galaxies, and now there's the, the James Webb's, you know, and there's all these other telescopes out there that have taken pretty incredible pictures, but I always loved this one. This is a photograph of the Horsehead Nebula, and of course, you know, it's called that because the, you know, this thing looks like a horse head, right? And of course, I always thought how, like, it almost seems so poetic. It doesn't even feel real, but it is real, right? I mean, it's like, can you believe that, that this is a part of the universe that we live in? I mean, just how crazy is that? And of course, how artistic that, you know, there's like a backdrop that lights up this little misty nebula of, you know, star stuff, right? And I just remember looking at it thinking, this is so crazy. And of course, I, I happened right after I had that moment looking at Orion, right? I, I was looking at this picture uh, sometime in the coming week, and I happened to read the caption. And all of a sudden, in the caption, it said, the Horseb Nebula actually exists inside of Orion's belt, if you could see it with a telescope. And I was like, Orion? It was like immediately, I'm like, oh my gosh. It felt so poetic in that moment, like God took my favorite galaxy picture and put it inside of the very constellation I was just reflecting on. And, you know, is that a sign from God that he's real? Well, no, it's probably just a cool coincidence, okay? But, but then, okay, get this. Then look at the verse that I randomly came upon after all of this. Amos chapter 5, verse 8. 
He who made the Pleiades and Orion, the Lord is his name. And I, I remember I read that and I'm like, you know, it was like immediately God was like, you were wondering if I was real? How specific is that? I mean, I didn't even know that the constellation Orion was in the Bible, right? And all of a sudden, I pray that prayer, looking at Orion, God, are you real? Is your Bible real? And then God's like, what's up? <laughs> I mean, I, I, to be honest, I kind of freaked out in that moment. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, is this like, is, is there any other verse that refers to Orion? I didn't even know that they even called the constellation Orion, you know, thousands of years ago. Apparently they did. And so then suddenly I found in the book of Job it, it, another reference. And it, it was God actually rebuking Job in that moment of doubt where he basically says, God says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs, Ursa Major, Minor? That's the, the little dipper, big dipper. Okay, so think about this, okay? I, what's crazy about that verse, this is, the, this is the craziest thing that I discovered. Did you know that astronomers recently discovered the Pleiades, also known, it's a constellation known as the Seven Sisters. It's a constellation that is gravitationally bound. When, when they took a telescope, looked at it through a, 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 not a telescope, a spectroscope, they found out that there's some sort of gravitational pull between these, these stars that give them the same trajectory and velocity so they stick together. Again, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades it actually was describing it from a gravitational standpoint, if you really think about it, okay? And then all of a sudden, you know, it says, it goes on, you know, can you loosen Orion's belt? Get this. Ironically, when you look at it from a spectroscope, uh, Orion's belt, the star cluster that makes it up, is they're gravitationally spreading apart right now. Okay, so uh, they, they found the exact opposite to be true, that literally Orion's belt is loosening right now in the galaxies. I mean, how cool is that? Okay, keep in mind, the book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, probably the estimated the second oldest book. I mean, it's literally 4,000 years old, right? So this is written thousands of years before telescopes, and, and let alone spectroscopes. There's no way that the naked eye ever could have perceived this, and it wouldn't have even made sense thousands of years ago. I mean, what does that even mean to bind the chains of the Pleiades and loosen Orion's belt. Why does Orion's belt need to be loosened, right? I mean, like, what's up, God? You know, like, I'm sure Job was like, huh? You know, like, he was probably just listening, right? But I, I'm just saying, you know, like, how in the world could the Bible nail these constellations in a scientifically accurate way unless, of course, the Bible is true and God actually said it, Okay. I mean, think about it. We are the first generation in history that can actually prove that statement in the Bible is actually scientifically, gravitationally true. It's kind of similar to the anisotropic stones that I talked about from Revelation last week. And I promise you, I'm not this nerdy all the time if you're newer to church. This is not like, you know, I'm the science guy. No, I'm not normally like that. Just... You know, it's just interesting stuff. And, and maybe you're out there and you're like, okay, so uh, that's cool, Peter. But you know what? What about all those Bible verses that describe things in an inaccurate way, right? Like in Joshua 10 where it refers to the sun is rotating around the earth, right? Well, listen, guys, God was probably just describing things in a way that made sense to the people of that time. Does that make sense? Like, if you've ever had to describe things to a five-year-old before, you're going to find out very quickly that you can't describe things accurately, or it actually makes it more confusing to a five-year-old, right? It's kind of like the old Jim Gaffigan joke, like, so, Daddy, is that a stick? No, son, that's a radio antenna. 
Well, what's a radio antenna? Well, uh, it catches sound out of the sky and... Buddy, it's a stick. You nailed it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You see, if we always describe things in scientifically accurate ways, it's actually more confusing. I can guarantee you, if all scriptures describe things in scientifically ac accurate ways, thousands of generations would have still said, yeah, right, do you think I'm an idiot? You expect me to believe in a magic stick that catches sound out of the sky and suddenly makes people talk? Whatever, I'm not believing that stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? You see, that's the idea, that mockers will rip on anything they don't understand, and actually, anybody with a small brain will struggle to actually grasp reality. You know what? You're on a rock flying through galaxies at thousands of miles per hour, and you're not falling off of it. <laughs> Sometimes reality is a little hard to grasp, and it takes a little while. And so think about it from God's perspective, okay? It kind of puts God in an impossible situation if we're always expecting every single verse of the Bible to always make sense to us the way we want it to make sense. At some point, we say, okay, I get it. It's a complicated relationship. We gotta figure out you know, what reality is and how this all works. And you see, that's my point. When you read your Bible, you will find things in God's word that will look confusing and it will even sometimes be confusing for generations, just like this verse does. But guess what? God has a timing for things. He loves to unfold mysteries in his timeline in a way that will give us goosebumps. And I believe he's got so many little nuggets like this in his scripture that almost every single generation that reads the Bible will have its very own, like, ooh, we never saw that before. That's why I can read my Bible hundreds of times, and every single time I read it, I find something new and, like, profound, and it gets more and more interesting every single time I read it. You see, that's the way, it's, that's the way God works. He loves to reveal himself. He longs to show you mysteries, but the question is, is will you be patient enough with him to actually go through the process of him doing so. You see, I think a lot of times we get impatient and then we get broody and then we think, maybe God doesn't care. And then we start thinking, maybe God isn't real. And then we quit on God right before he actually reveals the great mystery that he wants to reveal to us, right before it all makes sense. And I just, I share that because I, I want to encourage you. Listen, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to wrestle, but don't quit. Don't quit. And with all that, I, I want to end with one last story that I think kind of sums up maybe all four of these mentalities. A while back, I was reading about an Islamic woman by the name of Khalida Wukowitz, and uh, I was reading this book called 10 Amazing Muslims Touched by God. And um, it was just, it was really uh, uh, an amazing, uh, just amazing stories that I was reading out of this book. And uh, this, this woman, Khalida, she was a Palestinian orphan, only a few years older than me, which made it a little extra interesting. She was sold into slavery to a Bedouin family uh, and, and was forced to travel the desert throughout the Middle East. And so she lived very similar to biblical times. She actually started out in, you know, kind of normal technology land. And then, uh, you know, because she was now with a Bedouin family, is, you know, this is her new life. And then when she was 15 years old, she was forced to marry an abusive man um, who eventually took her to the United States, which obviously, I mean, talk about culture shock, right? And... Um, 
obviously it was really kind of a sad story. Much of her story is very sad. She was, she was constantly being beaten by her husband. And she, one time she was beaten so badly that he broke her jaw and, uh, and she knew that she needed to escape to save her own life. And so she took her kids and uh, escaped and eventually was homeless living in a, a city park. And um, as they lived in the city park trying to get back on her feet, her, her kids would go out and they would look for little spare change on the sidewalk, nickels and quarters that they could use to, to, to purchase food. And of course, every day when they'd go out looking for change on the street, they would walk past this particular restaurant cof, uh, cafe run by a Christian woman. And after a few weeks, this Christian woman sees Kalita and her kids constantly, you know, looking around the sidewalk and, and she realized, oh, she must be homeless. And so she would go out and just kind of befriended Kalita and her friends and her family, I mean, just loved on her. And eventually this Christian woman said, hey, I, I would love to help you get back on your feet. Could you use a job? Let me, let me give you a job and let me, let me help you find a place to stay. And so over the following year, Kalita started working with this Christian woman and, and they were having all sorts of really honest conversations about their faith, really. And Kalita was very straight up with this Christian woman every time she would share her faith. And she said, well, you know, according to my faith, uh, if you keep believing in Jesus like that, you're going to hell. And she just told this Christian woman, hey, that's you know not what I was taught at all. And it was very straight up. And so they had to have several conversations where they were like, well, I, let's agree to disagree, but just know, you know, they kept working with each other, right? Having dialogue, well, um, you know, at the same time, Kalita had never met anyone who had been as loving and as joyful and maybe as grace-filled, had experienced as many miracles as this Christian woman. She clearly had something that Kalita was missing. And so over a two-year window, Kalita started saying, well, you know, despite all the rituals I observe, I'm not experiencing real miracles. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a miracle. You know, she started, started thinking, like, maybe, maybe there's more to life than I know, which is, I think, a good question for all of us to answer, to, a question for all of us to ask. Well, finally, one day, Kalita was working in the back room and she thought to herself, well, okay, maybe I am missing something. Maybe there's more than I know. And she said, what the heck? Why not ask Jesus to reveal himself? And so she literally prayed this following prayer. She said, Jesus, if you are the son of God, come down and show me. And all of a sudden, the entire room just shifted. It was almost like she got zapped into a new location, completely freaked her out. And all of a sudden, this person started walking up in front of her and said in Arabic, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then, and then this person that appeared in front of her said, I am Jesus the one you denied, the one you said is not the son of God. I came to save you and make you a happy person. And then he said this, you don't have to do anything. Just know that I love you. And she was almost stunned by that last statement. Like, what do you mean I don't have to do anything? Just know that I love you? And, and then it was like the first words that leaked out of her mouth was, that's it? And he said, yes, believe in me. And then she claimed that Jesus literally took her to heaven to this worship service that was just absolutely euphoric. He taught her all sorts of Bible verses when he was in heaven. And of course, keep in mind, she had never read the Bible, so she was, she, she, 
she, she, the way she described it, it was almost like the movie The Matrix where like they downloaded all this information into her head. And then all of a sudden, like boom, she wakes up in the back room of this, uh, of this restaurant again, just kind of freaked out like, oh my gosh, did that really happen? And, and she, she learned, she started reading the Bible and discovered, all, like she started discovering all these Bible verses that Jesus taught her. Like, oh my gosh, that's, in the, that's what Jesus said. She, she learned all these Bible verses supernaturally, and it, which was a confirmation that the experience actually happened. And of course she, not surprisingly, she converted to Christianity. She went and told the lady that she worked for and it was like this, it's this crazy story. I encourage you guys to read it. But, but here's the deal, okay? I, I share all of this because I do believe that God does reveal himself. I think he's still showing himself to people. I think he showed himself to me in the nightclub. I think he showed himself to Cleta. I think he, sh he showed himself to, to Saul in the New Testament who became Paul, the author of the New Testament, half of it. And I believe that God still shows up like that. Now, does God always do that? No. Does God always reveal himself that dramatically? No. I don't know why he doesn't always do it. I, I do know some of the reasons I shared is God's trying to work that faith muscle in us, right? But I can guarantee you this, if you can just stick around long enough, wrestle with it, approach God with these four mentalities, I'm telling you, over time, you will see miracles that are undeniable that all of a sudden give you a foundation that you can stand on. And trust me, you do not want an ideology to stand on. You want an invasion of spiritual power to stand on. And I believe that God has that for you, he has that for you. And I just, uh, I believe it can start right here, right now. Just close your eyes, bow your heads, and ask yourself the simple question, where could you use a little extra grace in your life? Or what are some of those questions? Ask them. Ask God those questions. Father, you see all the lives represented here. You see all the struggles we have. You see the areas that we are maybe resistant in. And all of us have some of that in our heart. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in the areas where we need it most. And God, I know you love prayers like this and that you're looking at us right now, seeing where our hearts are being fully authentic. And I pray that we would take that step closer to you and experience you in church. If you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen, church. It gets more and more fun as you dive deeper and deeper and deeper. But with all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.